This is the Education Exchange with Paul Peterson. I am the senior editor at Education Next. Thank you for joining us. The price of coffee is up. Lettuce, chicken, hot dog prices not far behind. How about education? What's the cost of public education? Is that going up as well? It's hard to get the answer because, you know, the local governments pay some of the costs and the state governments do and the feds are paying ever more. Uh, so it's hard to add it all up. But now the Reason Foundation in Los Angeles, California has done the addition and they figured out just how much costs have risen over the past 20 years. It's not just COVID they're talking about here. They're looking at the last 20 years. So its newly released report, which I recommend for you all to read, is entitled A12 Education Spending, an In-Depth Look at School Finance Data and Trends. And I'm pleased to have an author of the report, Aaron Smith, with me on the Education Exchange. So thank you, Aaron, for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. Well, Aaron, you've tracked K-12 public education for the period 2002 to 2020 for every state across the country. How much is it going up? Well, great question. Um, so between 2002 and 2020, um, inflation-adjusted education revenue per student um, increased by about $3,200 um, or 25%. So right now, as a country, we spend about $16,000 per student on K-12 education, um, which amounts to, to about $771 billion total. Um, in our study, um, we found that um, almost every state, so 49 to 50 states, increased education spending um, in real terms um, during the time period examined. Um, the only state that didn't increase funding was uh, North Carolina, and their education dollars were essentially flat. So let me ask you this question about inflation. Uh, how, how, how much did, how much inflation occurred over this period of time? Well, during that time period, um, it wasn't very much. Um, and so we basically used the uh, inflation adjuster that is used by NCES. Um, so obviously this was before COVID. Um, and so, um, a lot of the, the education dollars coming from the federal government aren't included in this analysis. Um, and during that time period, um, inflation was a lot lower than it is today. So in other words, it really isn't like, this is a period where we had a lot of inflation and you had to make a big adjustment in the figures for it. There's a small adjustment because prices creeped up a bit, but but basically this is, uh, this is fairly close to the real dollar increase or you know, the, the nominal dollar increase uh, over, this, uh, over this period of time. Certainly, um, and we're certainly, uh, during this time period, we certainly didn't see the, uh, the runaway inflation that we, we see today. So, but you know, uh, what did you say, 25%? It's up 25% increase. Um, and so, yeah. 25%, that's quite a bit. I mean, 3,000 yeah. out of, off of uh, around 15,000, um, you know, that's a, that's a bundle. Uh, what are we spending it on? Uh, well, that's a, that's a great question. Um, so we identified a couple areas that really um, increased during this time period. Um, the big one is, uh, is benefit spending. Um, so spending on employee benefits, 
um, which is a broad category within census. So it includes things like teacher pensions and, and healthcare. Um, that nearly doubled in inflation adjusted terms going from about $90 billion to $164 billion. Um, and in, in per pupil terms, spending on benefits went from um, $1,900 per student to $3,400 per student. Um, so that's a, a, a nearly a, a $1,500 increase per student um, or about 79%. Um, so benefit spending has, has skyrocketed. So that's if you were going to pick on any one particular part, I mean, everything went up, but the one particular yeah. part that really stands out is the benefits category. Benefits increase, and that's mainly pensions and medical services, right? Or the, yeah, it, it's a number of things. And unfortunately, the census data um, aren't too granular. So you can't tell um, exactly what portion is pensions versus healthcare versus other expenditures. Um, but we know from related research um, that a big driver is teacher pensions, um, primarily unfunded liabilities and uh, the costs associated with, with servicing that debt. Well, the, you know, teachers are living longer, just like everybody else is living longer. And so when you retire, you need a pension for a longer period of time. And so a lot of this may be due to the fact that in the past, we didn't put enough money aside for pensions. Now we have all these retired people out there who are drawing down their pensions and school districts have to put more money into that pension fund to, to cover these costs. And, and also the it, medical costs are rising all the time. And you know, a increasing share of our GDP is being spent on, on medical uh, services. So um, this is this. There's almost nothing you can do about this, isn't it? I mean, this is just sort of baked in. Well, in terms of uh, uh, pensions, you you hit the nail on the head. Um, the the short story is that um, that that states uh, made promises that they didn't fund. Um, so the you know the 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 best solution, of course, would be to to build a time machine and and go back and and actually fund those promises. Um, Unfortunately, that's obviously not possible. But um, but now the, the the big thing for states is to you know to fully fund their their pensions and to to make structural reforms um, as well to ensure that that debt doesn't worsen. Um, so so yeah, I I I agree with you. Um, you know, teachers deserve their their pensions. States have to um, live up to their obligations, of course. Uh, but there also needs to be structural reforms, including fully funding those those benefits. Um, I'll, I'll also add that um, while the cost of benefits have gone up and the cost of teacher pensions have gone up, um, teachers aren't necessarily seeing better benefits for it. Um, the vast majority of teachers don't um, stay in the classroom their entire careers. Um, and so the, the benefit for them um, isn't nearly as much as what it costs. Well, it's concentrated on a relatively few employees. So if you go into teaching for five years, you may get nothing in terms of pension in some states. Of course, every state is different. You can't generalize uh, very easily about this, but there's you know many states out there who say, if you leave within five years, no pension for you. And that's the average turnover in the United States for teaching. Right. A lot of people, you know, historically what we had was women would go into teaching, they'd teach for a while, then they would go, home and raise their families and somebody else would take that spot. So uh, it's changed uh, slowly, but still there's uh, 
a lot of people who go into teaching for a few years, and it, it makes sense with their life plan to, to only teach for a few years. So this seems to me like exploiting the teacher who isn't making this a career for just a relatively, uh, well, not, not a small share, but for just those teachers who stay in the job. Right. And, and I'll add, um, this wasn't part of our analysis, but uh, we know from related data, um, NCS reports that teacher salaries have been um, essentially flat over time. Um, so the average teacher salary between 2002 and 2019 um, actually declined a little bit in real terms, just under 2%. Um, so, you know, they're, they're, the benefit spending is going up, uh, but they're not necessarily seeing increases in their paychecks. So pensions are a big part of the story. Medical benefits are a big part of the story, but they're, but they aren't the whole story. And you just told me some right. aren't the story. So what right. is the rest of the story? So another part is um, spending on support services. Um, so that's gone up by about $974 per student um, or about 25%. Um, and that includes a, a number of categories. Um, operations, maintenance, uh, pupil support services, school administration, central administration. Um, and those have, have mostly all gone up over time. Um, but the, the biggest growth um, that we found was within the pupil support services, which is a pretty broad category that includes a lot of staffing positions, um, so social workers, counseling services, um, paraprofessionals and, and others. Um, and so um, spending on support services has definitely um, driven at least a part of that increase in education spending. Yeah, well, Ben Scafferty has said that we are hiring more non-teachers than teachers. So the, the, the growth in the, in the education uh, industry is not the growth in the number of teachers in the classroom, but the number of non-teachers who are doing this and that uh, throughout the educational system. Yeah, that, that's absolutely true. The number of non-teachers now outnumber the number of teachers. I think it's um, 305 million to, to 3.2 million. Um, and we know from NCES data that uh, non-teachers have increased by just under 20 percent in the last couple of decades. And uh, the number of teachers has also increased uh, by, by just over 5 percent. Um, and, and during that time, enrollment um, Increased by less than two percent. So, um, as Ben Scafferty points out in his um, in his papers, yeah, there is a, a massive staffing surge, um, especially among non-teachers, but uh, with teachers as well. So, um, okay, so we have more employees, and uh, they're not being paid much more, but they're getting more benefits. Um, but then I look at New the state of New York. I mean, that's your, that's your number one state for expenditure growth. And when I saw the number there, I nearly fall, fell out of my chair. Now, I think I know this business. Yeah. And I think that, you know, I'm, I'm aware of the fact that costs are going up in, in education. But what was the number for New York State? So New York uh, now spends um, just under $31,000 per student. Um, so their spending in the last couple of decades has increased by about 70 percent per student. Um, 70 percent. Yeah. And what's fascinating about this um, and, and alarming is that um, during this time, their K-12 student population actually fell by about 11 percent. Um, 
And so it's not surprising, um, you know, you're spending a lot and um, your, your student population declines. It's not surprising that per pupil spending goes up. But what's really interesting is that their total appropriations have gone up as well. Um, so their total appropriations, despite losing 11% of their students, have gone up by $26 billion um, in real terms. So do we have, I, I know this isn't part of your study, but it, it just invites a question. What, what is driving this in New York State? Is there a political, now we had uh, Mr. Cuomo as governor for a good share of this period. Was he passionate about education or what was going on here? I, I'm sure there's a lot of uh, blame to go around there. Uh, but I, I think it's 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 a supercharged uh, version of what you see on a national level, which is um, edu uh, school districts across the country are prioritizing staffing positions over other expenses, um, and you just see that a lot of that um, within New York. Um, and then the other thing is that education dollars are are pretty sticky. So once you appropriate them, um, they're really hard to take away, um, even if you're student population decreases by, by you know, 10 or 11%. Um, and now we, we found similar decreases across a number of states. I think um, 22, uh, 22 states plus DC all lost students in, in those two decades before COVID. Yeah, and I, I noticed that the states that were above average in their uh, increasing uh, uh, costs, the states that are above average are also I think two thirds of them are states that lost enrollment. So there seems to be right. a connection. If you lose enrollment, you keep the same amount of expenditure. So you get more money per pupil. So they have more money for fewer students because they cannot cut costs. That, that's exactly what we, we, we see happening. Um, and, and I'm afraid this problem is actually getting worse. Um, so all of our figures are, are pre-COVID going up to 2020. Um, so there's a little overlap there, but um, but in the last couple of years, um, you know, as you know, um, enrollment has plummeted across most states, um, and states are injecting a lot of new dollars into their um, K-12 systems. And um, you know, of course, the federal government sent about 190 billion dollars in um, K-12 COVID relief to, to school districts. So this trend is uh, is is certainly magnified right now post-COVID, and um, and when the, the, the updated figures come out, so in a couple of years when we finally have access to, to 2022 numbers and then 2023 numbers, um, we're gonna see some pretty large per pupil expenditures, right? So um, dollars going up, students going down, um, and um, that's gonna be true um, pretty much across the board. Yeah, what's important to emphasize here is that I don't think you've got many COVID dollars in the, your data set because right. 2020 doesn't really pick up on any of the uh, current administration's expenditures. And, and it takes money to, you know, after Congress appropriates the money that was done in the latter part of the Trump administration, it takes a while for that money to, you know, get out there into the system. So I don't think even the 2020 data has much, much of no. coming. Not, not much at all. And it, actually, I don't even think 2021 will have much of it. Um, so as you know, school districts across the country are have been pretty slow to, to spend their relief dollars for, for various reasons. Um, and so I think, you know, in uh, 2022's numbers and then 2023, that's when we're really going to see the, the federal dollars hit um, and these dollars um, increase. Um, and, and I'll note, like as I mentioned before, um, states are also increasing their appropriations. Um, so 
since COVID started, um, California's lost about four and a half percent of their, their student population, um, but they just announced a $9.2 billion increase to their uh, K-12 funding. Um, so they have injected um, about 14% more education dollars into the system despite losing all those students. But that could be that could be federal money, right? Because they're well, getting that federal money. That, that's actually not federal money. That's in addition to the federal dollars. Yeah, that's, <laughs> uh, yeah, yes. Well, we, you know, we tend to think that California is a different country anyhow, but, uh, but yeah. Yeah, no, California is, but you know, California doesn't stick out in your, um, in your analysis. Uh, if you look at the amount per pupil being spent in California, what is it? It's, it's, a, it's nothing like New York's. California, uh, so they're an interesting case study. So um, for years, um, their per pupil spending was average or below average. Actually, I think for many years they ranked, um, you know, 40th, 41st. Um, and a big part of that is because their um, school funding systems is highly centralized and um, locals don't have a lot of discretion to, to raise um, more dollars. Um, but in the past decade or so, um, since they passed their local control funding formula, they've injected a lot of a lot of new dollars into the system, and they have really boosted spending, um, especially in the last several years. Um, and so, uh, yeah, they're they're interesting to look at. And one reason we don't feature them as much um, is because they had a reporting anomaly um, back back around 2018, 2019, where they changed how they account for uh, student enrollment. So that throws some of their figures off. Um, so we're very careful about how we report those. Um, but certainly over time, you know, California has has spent a lot more on, on K-12 education. Well, how about transportation? We've been reading stories about bus drivers. You can't get bus drivers. They got to pay them a bigger salary. Uh, how much have transportation costs increased? So I don't have the uh, the figure on me, but those have increased over time. And the, the big thing about transportation is that they're that they're actually spending more, um, but they're serving servicing fewer students. Um, so fewer students are now riding yellow buses, uh, but transportation costs have actually increased. Okay, so I want to also ask you a, a, a sort of a more of a theoretical question. Um, you know the the, the cost of education is almost doomed to go up and up and up over time because we are always going to have to have, you know, one teacher for every 20 kids or some number like that. We can't get any productivity increases in education like we can in other sectors of the economy. Retail sales, we get by with fewer clerks. Uh, you know, manufacturing, we have fewer employers. We have vastly fewer farmers today than we had in the past. So, all the other sectors of the economy are becoming more and more productive. Fewer people are able to produce just as much. That doesn't happen in education, and there's no reason to think it's going to happen in, in the future. But salaries got to keep pace with the salaries or the wages going up in other sectors of the economy. So isn't it inevitable that you're going to have to keep upping the salaries and benefits of your of your employees in the education sector and the costs are going to keep climbing forever well yeah that's a great question i think um you can maintain higher salaries right you can pay your teachers more um but what we've observed is they're making the trade-off of um more teachers more non-instructional uh, staff 
and keeping salaries about the same over time. Um, so there's always going to be scarce resources. And the important thing is, is that you need to be very clear about the trade-offs in front of you. Um, do you want higher teacher um, salaries? Um, do you want smaller class sizes? Um, you know, you do have to, to make trade-offs with, uh, with scarce resources. Yeah, well, that's, uh, that is definitely an issue. And uh, it's interesting that the decision seems always to be made not to go for having you know fewer people but really having high level people that are rewarded for their high accomplishments we don't move to sort of a merit pay plan instead we just keep hiring more assistants and this and that role within the within the organization and what are we getting out of it do we have any improvements in student achievement that um, shows this is the right strategy so outcomes um, weren't a part of our study, um, but from related research, we know that NAEP scores are essentially flat over time. Um, so since the early 2000s, um, reading scores for fourth, eighth, and 12th grade students are flat. Um, math scores are a little better. There, there are some improvements for fourth and eighth graders, um, but for 12th grade students, um, those are also flat. So uh, for what we're spending, there doesn't seem to be better outcomes. Um, but I would say even more than that, though, um, is that the, the, the way we're spending dollars um, is not built for, for modern times. Um, so right now, uh, there's increased demand for, for school choice policies and customization. Um, but the way we allocate education dollars doesn't really allow for that to happen. Um, so going back, um, most school funding systems have roots in um, the early part of the 20th century when the, the first foundation formula was created. Um, and they still look very similar today. Uh, and we, you know, we make the point all the time that these formulas weren't designed with student movement in mind. Um, and the obvious thing to point to is that you know, not all states have school choice programs like education savings accounts or tax credit scholarships. Um, but there's another point to be made is that these systems don't even work very well for public school choice. Um, so when you're talking about open enrollment or inter-district enrollment policies, um, dollars don't neatly attach to and, and follow the child. Um, so that's a problem. So there's lots of inefficiencies in the system, uh, quite apart from the fact that uh, you've got uh, more, more people on the pension plan and you've got to take care of them. There's, there's lots of other issues that are out there. So how much, are we talking about current costs or does this include capital costs? How about the construction costs? So these figures include um, all sources of revenue. Um, so that includes capital costs um, and, and also current spending as well. So is that is that part of the problem? Are we spending more money repairing our school uh, buildings and uh, uh, focusing uh, upgrades uh, or building new buildings. So maybe we're right. the one-time event here that we're talking about. So interestingly, capital expenditures are um, amazingly flat over time. Um, they have ebbed and flowed um, substantially, but on a per pupil basis, they were remarkably consistent in the last couple of, uh, of decades. Um, now you could dig in and look at um, operations and maintenance and, and, and costs associated with maintaining those um, buildings. Um, and the, you know, those have gone up a little bit over time, but, uh, but not substantially. Um, so in terms of capital expenditures, it's, it's relatively flat. When is the American public going to respond to the rising 
I mean, inflation has become a huge issue out there. People are price sensitive in a way they haven't been in the past. And you just mentioned that uh, the, the, these, the cost of education is going to is ballooning right now. We don't have the data, but it's just we know it's ballooning. So do you see a reaction? Do you see the public and sort of saying enough's enough? Not yet, um, but I suspect that in the next couple of years, um, especially when COVID-19 relief dollars um, um, dry up, um, there's going to be calls for a, a K-12 bailout, um, whether that's on the, just on the state level, whether it's on the federal level as well. Um, you know, we have seen a pretty sharp increase in, in spending in the last couple of years. And the, as I mentioned before, the K-12 en, uh, enrollment is, is dwindling. Um, and so school districts across the country that have been staffing up are going to have to make hard decisions. Um, and, and rather than making those hard decisions, um, I strongly suspect that they will be lobbying state legislatures um, and potentially as well the, the federal government for, uh, for more money. Well, we may have seen that uh, earlier. You know, we did have the financial crisis, uh, 2008, 2007, and there was a huge problem for school districts. And then there was federal money that came in to help bail that out. And then there were, that money went away. And then there was all this hue and cry and teachers went on strike and you had this uh, demand that uh, the states had to had to re, you know, restore that. Is, is that sort of part of what you're seeing is all the, the aftermath of uh, what do we do about our schools uh, after the uh, financial crisis of the first decade? There are similarities there. I think the big difference is um, is that this is happening in slow motion while you know we're, we're sitting here watching it in in real time. Um, so whereas that was precipitated by a financial crisis, um, the problem here is that um, districts haven't right sized. So they've lost students, but they're looking to increase staffing positions um, on top of a couple decades of increasing staffing positions. Um, so I, I, I look at this as a, a you know, I, I hate to say this, but it's a problem of their own doing and um, it's going to need to be fixed one way or another. Um, and really the only two ways out of that are to, to right size um, operations and, and make some painful cuts um, or to, to increase spending and to maintain those, those spending levels once federal dollars run out. Well, this is not gonna happen unless people uh, pay attention and uh, the data needs to be there in order for people to, to pay attention. So thank you very much, uh, Aaron, for the report you put together and thank you for joining me on the Education Exchange. Thanks for having me. I've been speaking with Aaron Smith. He's the director of education reform at the Reason Foundation and the author of a new report entitled K-12 Education Spending, an in-depth look at school finance data and trends. I am Paul Peterson. This is the Education Exchange. Please join me for a new podcast released on the Education Next website every Monday at noon Eastern time.